Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live. But we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Uh, hey, it is good to see you again. Welcome to Cross Creek. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. In case you snuck in, you're like, who is that average height guy? <laughs> and if you're watching online, it is good to be seen by you. Thank you so much for watching. Um, one thing that I, I want to tell you a little bit about Cross Creek, because we're, we're coming up on um, some milestones of being a church, being here for two years, and that type of thing. And the first thing I want you to know that Cross Creek is a church designed on purpose from the ground up for people who don't normally go to church. And with that, that means that we want people to be asking questions. We want people to be engaging with, um, with what their thoughts are about God, and maybe that disagrees with maybe what we're saying here, and that type of thing, what they've heard growing up, what they've experienced. We want you to ask questions. And the best way we can think of doing that is actually that uh, Connect card that's in the seat in front of you. If you have a question about anything I talked about tonight, or anything in particular that maybe um, somebody in my position would be able to kind of talk about, uh, write that on the card. Just write your name, your email address, say, I have a so what about question. Hey, so what about? And then write your question on the back of the card. You can do that online where it says ask the question under, I think, discover or watch online, one of those. Or you can just scroll down, actually, that's right. So uh, we want to engage with you. We want to walk with you in questions you have because we're a church we don't normally go to church. And so our, our, what, we want, our, 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 what we want to do is uh, not just change people's minds about the church. Because usually church is for church people and you know when you see a sign that says all are welcome, you usually think okay that means all who are church people are welcome. Right? Well we don't want to change people's minds about church. We really want to change people's minds about God. Because I think so many times we don't really understand who God is. And one thing we're really big about here at Cross Creek is saying that God is for you. God is for you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, what you've done, whatever you've done, whatever you haven't done, God is for you. And when we say that, there's usually two reactions. Right? For the, for the church people, for the religious people, usually it's a reaction of, well, okay, that sounds a little like, you know, that, that other preacher that I saw on TV or whatever. You know, no, God's not for me, right? That sounds pretty self-serving. I was made for God, right? I'm for God. I was created to worship and obey God. And that's, you know, there's, there's some truth to the, some of that. Maybe if, if you're not religious and I say God is for you, the usual answer is, how is he for me? How is he for us? I mean, look, look around the world. If there was a God, why would all those terrible things be happening all over the world. How is he for us? In fact, don't even take, I don't have to go outside my house to question whether God's for me. Look at my life. Look how it's falling apart. Look how things have not come into play for me like it has for everyone else. How is God for me? He could have controlled what happened to me. How is he for me? 
I think common thinking that we don't always put into words is, you know, if there is a God, and I'll give you that, if there is a God, either he's uninterested or he's angry at me. He's judgmental. He's silent. He's distant. He's absent when I actually need him. In fact, he only shows up when I do something that go against his narrow rules, and he shows up to make sure I feel guilty for doing what I thought I wanted to do. And so he's just showing up to, to punish me or to judge me, to make me feel guilty. He's definitely not for me. I think that's, we don't always put that into words. Sometimes we do. I think that, that can come from a lot of places. Sometimes it comes from our own fathers, right? It's Father's Day and we didn't plan to start this series on Father's Day. It just kind of happened. But God self-identifies as a father, as Father God. And so when we hear that God is our father, what's our example we look to? Whatever father we had. Whatever father we didn't have. The fathers we saw around us. They can totally just change how we see God. Which, just a little side note, I wasn't going to do a whole, a whole talk about this, but fathers, if you are a father, when your kid hears that God is their heavenly father, they are going to think of how you loved them how you interacted with them. That's heavy. That's huge. But don't forget it. Total side note. But God doesn't always seem for us. And it's, it's what we hear, what, we, what we've maybe seen in fathers. In fact, here's the thing. What we think we know about God keeps us from discovering God. What we think we know about God, oh, he's, he's angry, oh, he's distant, oh, you know, he doesn't, doesn't really care about me, he, he started things, got it spinning, and now I'm just on my own. He's punishing me. What we think we know about God actually keeps us from discovering who God really is, who that good Heavenly Father really is. Because we don't really know who God is. I mean, we're, for most of us, we're pretty sure someone or something exists and if he or it or she does exist, how could we ever know what they're like? We, we know what we've been told. We know what we feel. But really, who is God? That's not a new problem. In fact, most of our problems aren't new problems. They usually just have different names. In fact, this problem is the same question. Who is God? It's the same question that the ancient Israelites were asking when they escaped Egypt. See, these ancient Israelites had been, um, and we'll talk a little bit about Abraham next week and where they started and where they came from and all that. These ancient Israelites had been slaves in ancient Egypt for 400 years. They had been steeped in ancient Egyptian culture, ancient Egyptian mythology and religion. And if you know the story of, of Moses and the Exodus and uh, maybe you've at least seen the movie The Ten Commandments or the cool animated one called Prince of Egypt, which is pretty cool and also now old, <laughs> but still really great. Um, you, you know that these Israelites, who were former slaves, saw amazing things happen, right? They saw, they saw these plagues. They saw Pharaoh, one of the most powerful men on earth, be brought to his knees by the power of this invisible God that they really hadn't known before. They saw the sea part they saw Pharaoh's army get swallowed up by that same sea. They saw a pillar of cloud and fire and all these different things. So they knew there was a God. They knew he was powerful, but they hadn't heard from him in 400 years. 
And there was no the Bible to turn to because it hadn't been written yet. So who is this God? Who is this God that rescued them? Who cares about them? Who went through all this, this amazing effort to free them? And so God had Moses write what we call the book of Genesis. And in its first three chapters, it talks about creation and the very, the very first people, Adam and Eve. Now you might knee-jerk and say, Adam and Eve, okay, it's one of those churches, right? Kinda. Kinda. See, here, here's why it's kinda. I believe Adam and Eve were real people, whatever they looked like, wherever they came from, however old the earth was, all that stuff. The only reason I believe there was an Adam and Eve is because Jesus makes it sound like he believed there was an Adam and Eve. And if somebody can predict their own death and resurrection, whatever they say, if they can predict the death and resurrection and then pull it off, usually whatever they say, I'm going to listen to, right? So Jesus pretty much thought there was an Adam and Eve, so, so do I. We can debate that if you want to. But in, so in that first three chapters, he talks about creation and Adam and Eve. And here's the thing. The focus of these first three chapters is not what most church people make it out to be. A lot of the times when you hear, oh, okay, we're going to talk about Genesis and creation. Well, okay, well, here's the slideshow of my visit to the Creation Museum. I don't know why I gave a southern accent. I apologize to you, southerners. <laughs> That's just an accent I do for fun. Anyway, you know, usually it's, the, the focus is on how did God create and how long did it take and what happened here and what happened. That's not the point of these chapters. The Bible is not a scientific book. The point is not how God created. The whole point of this is who is God? Who is this God that created? Because honestly, God wants us to know who he is. He doesn't want to be a mysterious God. That's not the point. He doesn't want to be this, this being that we have to guess about. God actually wants us to know who he is. And so as God introduces himself to this new nation, right? The Israelites were slaves. They're now coming and becoming their own nation of Israel. As he introduces himself to his people, what's the first thing he wants them to know about him? And that's what we're going to read. That's what we're going to look at tonight. The first thing God wants his people to know about him. And so we're actually going to go to the very beginning of the Old Testament, of the, of the Hebrew Scriptures, in Genesis, which means beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And we're just going to start reading until we get to a revelation. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But we're going we're to talk a little bit about what this talks about and, and, and read it a bit. But here's the thing. Here's how God introduced, this is the first time they've really heard from God. This is the first thing that was written down about God, that he commanded to be written down. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who is God? Well, he's the one who created everything out of nothing. Well, that's cool. How did he do it? I don't, honestly, I don't care how he did it. He did it, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything out of nothing. Now, the question is, if you sit on that a while, why? Why did he do that? Why did God create anything at all? He didn't have to, right? He didn't, he didn't need to. He was perfectly God before the creation of anything, 
He obviously had the power to do it, so he didn't need like extra power or whatever. He was already perfect God. He didn't need a bunch of worshipers. Why did he create? Because if he didn't, you wouldn't be here. If he didn't create, you wouldn't be here. And God created you. Why? Because he wanted to. He didn't need to. He didn't need to create anything, but he created because he wanted to. God created you because he wanted to. Think about that. He created the universe because he wanted to. He created you because he wanted to. He created you specifically now with the personality you have now, who you are, right? Even those quirks that you are embarrassed about sometimes when your friends finally get to know you, you're like, oh, you're that part. He created you on purpose because he wanted to. But there's more. It gets better. Throughout this account, there's a phrase that's repeated. As God, as God creates, there's this phrase that keeps being repeated. Let's look at it. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the, the, the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. Over and over, God declares what he made is good. He makes land. He makes trees. Plants, the sun, the moon, the stars. He makes animals, and he says they are all good. Now, if you grew up in church, you're like, yeah, I know, I, they're good. He did a good job. Right? You don't really think about that. Why does he say they're good? Like, why is that in there? It's not like God's, you know, checking his work. Okay, now, I, I made gravity, but is it okay? Is it, does it work good enough? Oh, it's good. Right? Is he, is he reassuring himself? Oh, I don't know if it, the leaves should be green. Maybe they should be blue. No, they're good. Why is he saying they're good? Who are they good for? He's God, right? He doesn't need this stuff. He's already there. He's already fully God. He fully existed before any of this good stuff that he made existed. Let's, let's skip ahead a little bit. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created the entire universe, got it perfectly situated. If you do the scientific research on where our planet is and how it turns and all that kind of stuff, it's amazing. But he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. Everything is exactly how he wants it. And then... He creates mankind. When everything was good, then he created humans. When everything was good for us, he created us. The universe was created good for us. The universe was created good for us. Think about that. He didn't need it. And if you're an Argonian or wish you were an Argonian, as most people probably should. Every sunset that we enjoy is good for us. Every forest you love to hike in. Every ocean discovery where they dig, dive down deep and they keep finding new crazy looking creatures was for us to survive, was for us to thrive, and in some cases, for us just to enjoy See, there doesn't need to be beauty or a capacity to enjoy anything. 
to survive, right? You can survive without enjoying things, without there being art and beauty, but God chose to create it for us to enjoy. He created us to be able to enjoy it because he wanted to. But wait, there's more. Let's keep reading. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. God made everything perfect, perfect universe, then made us, and then just gave it to us. He just gave it. Why did he create us again? Because he wanted to. Why did he give us this good creation? Like, think about it. What did we do, what did humanity do to deserve him saying, hey, all this stuff I just worked on and, and created perfectly is now yours. What did we do to deserve it? We hadn't done anything yet. We had done nothing to deserve it. We hadn't even spoken words yet. And he says, all of this is for you. He gave it to us because he wanted to. We, we just think about like this. It's kind of like when a newborn baby is born, right? And, and if you're a parent, you've experienced that. You, you see your baby for the first time. You're like, I want to give you everything. It did nothing to deserve it, <laughs> by the way. And it will remind you of that first time you have to change that weird black diaper thing, right? But you want to give them everything. Why? Because you love them. Because you want to. God loves to give. God loves to give. It's the very first thing he did when he had these new humans. He's like, you're amazing. I made you. I made you all this. Do you want it? Here, you can have it. It's for you. It's good for you. But he didn't stop there. Let's keep going. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. He didn't just give us this creation. He gave us purpose. He gave us something to do. He said, I created you for a purpose. There's something I created you to do. There's some things I created you to do. You're not just here to float around. You actually have a reason to get up. There's a reason I made you. Discover it. So he gave us purpose. But wait, there's more. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And before you jump on that word helper. <laughs> see, I know. If, if you look at the Hebrew, it doesn't mean like, hey, do what I tell you. It doesn't mean slave. It doesn't mean servant. It means companion. It means equal that will help you do this job that I gave you. You are co-equals together. That's what he's saying. So he not only gave us purpose, not only gave us all of creation, he gave us companionship. He gave us the ability to love. The ability to love and be loved back and to enjoy life together. Those are all gifts that he gave before we did anything to deserve it. He made everything and gave it to us, gave us a purpose, gave us the ability to love. Why? Because he wanted to. Because he wanted to. See, God has been for us 
from the beginning of time. God has been for us from the beginning of time. He gave us all we needed and more. Like I said, we don't need the beauty. There's only two people on the planet, but there's all this earth. He gave us way more than we could ever need or want. He gave over and above. He gave us everything we needed and more. And he only gave us one rule. Only one rule. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And what did you just focus on? The no. Millions of yes trees. And one no tree. See, think about that. God's gifts are uncountable. And his requirements are minimal. His gifts, really, you can't even count them. You can't even fathom them. You don't even know how much God has given you. And his requirements are so small, so minimal. In fact, when God the Son came, Jesus, when he came to earth, he described this. He talked about it. Matthew 11, this is what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So many yeses, very few noes. But it often feels the other way around, doesn't it? That's why we focused on that, that no tree. Why is that? Like, think about it. Where does that come from? I don't know. It's for you to figure out. So, for who knows how long, who knows how long Adam and Eve were happy in this perfect creation? Adam and Eve trusted God and they enjoyed everything He gave them a perfect world a perfect relationship with each other, perfect intimacy, being known and knowing fully and loving in return fully, and a perfect relationship with him. But then, everything changed. Everything except God, that is. For some reason, Adam and Eve were not content with all the gifts God had given them. They chose to eat from the one no tree. They decided they knew what was best, decided that God couldn't be trusted. And because of that decision, sin, your favorite word when you walk into these doors, because of that decision, sin entered the world. And see, we don't understand the gravity of this, of, of sin actually entering this perfect world. We don't understand the severity of it. Because honestly, a world of sin is all we know. It's what we grew up in. Like, you know, does a fish know they're wet? No, they grew up in it, right? <laughs> or if, if, you've, if you've been in that position, have you ever, for the, do you remember the first time you have ever heard your voice on a microphone or your voice recorded and played back to you? You thought you knew what your voice sounded like, <laughs> but you actually sound like this. What is that? We didn't know what it was like 
Because we are always just hearing our own voice. The fish don't know they're wet because they're always in it. We don't know the severity of what happened when sin entered the world because we have grown up in it. We are a part of it. It has always been a part of who we are. But from that point on, that which was, that which was once perfect was now subject to decay and corruption. And for the first time, Adam and Eve experienced the, they experienced the result of sin. For the very first time, humans experienced shame. There had never been shame. See, they experienced the result of sin. Shame. Sin creates shame. And shame creates separation and blame. Sin creates shame, and shame creates separation and blame. Let's look at it. So they, they eat the fruit of the tree. Probably wasn't an apple. You're okay to eat the apples. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Sin creates shame and shame creates separation and blame. Shame creates separation. See, they hid from each other for the first time. This perfect intimacy between a husband and wife was ruined. And they became conscious and shameful of their bodies, of being together, of being seen for what they truly are. And we still hide our true selves from each other, don't we? Because shame creates separation. And then they hid from God. They had a perfect relationship with God. They didn't know what guilt was before. They didn't know this shame. They hid from God. See, sin makes us afraid of God. Why? Because we know we're guilty. We know we deserve some kind of judgment because we've all broken the law of love, of loving God with everything we are and loving our neighbor as ourself. I think that's why it's hard for us to believe that God is for us. Because we know what we did. We know who we are. We know who we're trying to hide and why we're trying to hide. So shame leads to separation, but shame also leads to blame. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman. He didn't say, oh yeah, I totally ate. No, the woman. <laughs> See, Adam didn't have the Bible or any other experience to learn from, so don't judge him too hard. The woman, you, God. I mean, it really, it was her, but if you keep going back, you, God, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. Oops, I ate it. <laughs> So first he blames Eve, right? And it, it's not like she, she'll, you know, she'll, she'll leave him because she's mad and he can go find someone else because there is no one else. So he's got to go home with that blame. He blamed Eve and then he blamed God. You let this happen. You could have stopped it. You made that tree. You put her here. You put her here with me. God, if you think about it, it's actually your fault. 
Does that sound familiar at all? We blame God for our troubles. You're obviously not good, God, because you allowed this to happen. You could have stopped it. I'm wise enough to know you should have stopped it. It's all your fault. Now, how does God respond to this sin and to this blame? With love. With love. Again, let's read verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, this is right after they ate. The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? They had just ruined everything. Everything God has, had, had worked to create perfectly for them, they now ruined it. And God's first reaction is to pursue them, is to initiate a dialogue, to make the first move. They had just ruined all of creation for all of humanity. But he doesn't turn from them. He doesn't shun them. And if you notice, he doesn't make it so they can't hear him. He sought them out like a shepherd looking for a lost sheep. He ran to them like a father whose lost son has finally come home. He doesn't scold he doesn't reprimand. He asks a question. A simple question. A good question. A probing question that revealed the drastic change that had taken place. A question he knew the answer to. See, this change that affects all of humanity still today. That's what this question probes. And he asks, where are you? Where are you? And Adam says, I was hiding from you. I was hiding from you. Where are you? Isn't that such a good question? Such a good question for us to contemplate today. Where are you in your relationship with God? And then God tells them their consequences. For the woman, there would be pain in childbirth. For the man, he'd have to endure toil while working. That's why you don't want to go to work tomorrow. And their relationship it would now be hard for a husband and wife to clearly and perfectly communicate with each other. You've never experienced that, right? You're like, okay, so God tells them their constant. Listen, every good parent disciplines their children. If you don't ever discipline your children, you're probably not a good parent. They discipline their children to teach important lessons. Mostly disobedience has consequences. Obedience leads to freedom. Disobedience has consequences. Obedience leads to freedom, natural consequences when you disobey the, the natural order of God. And what you might have just heard me say, even though I didn't say it, is that what you are going through right now is because God is punishing you, because he, he disciplines. That's not what I'm saying. There's a difference, and we talked about it a few weeks ago. If it's something you're interested in, I can, I can give you the, the link. But the difference between guilt, you're evil, you're horrible, nobody loves you, or conviction, hey, this is not the right way to go. I need to steer you differently. I want what's best for you. Let's go this way. There's a difference between guilt and conviction. We're talking about conviction. God has consequences for, for disobedient choices. So God disciplines, but what does he not do here? 
What did he say would happen if they ate from the tree? That he, they would die. They would die. And you could say, oh, well, they died spiritually. Oh, they died. Their relationship died. He didn't say, hey, you will die spiritually. He says, you, the day you eat of it, you will die. Did they die that day? No. He showed mercy and he allowed them to live. He could have just killed them and started over. Right? It's not hard for God to create people. But instead, he let them live. And he helped bring about his solution to the problem they had created. He actually allowed them to be part of the solution to the problem that they created. Because here's the most amazing part of this story. When he's talking to the serpent that, that uh, convinced Eve to eat the fruit. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, strife, anger between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Offspring, it's plural meaning all humankind. All humanity will be subject to the consequences of sin, and they will constantly be having sin battle against them, having temptation battle against them. You know what you want to do, but you do the other thing instead. You know you want to get along with each other, but you just can't seem to. It is battling against you constantly. And God is saying, that's what's going to happen for all of your offspring, all humanity. But then... He continues the sentence. He says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is a singular he. It's singular. First he's saying, plural, there'll be enmity between your offspring, plural, and he, singular, will crush your head. That seems out of place. It's like, learn how to write English, Moses. God switches from talking about the human race to one particular offspring of Adam and Eve. Someone who would come with the authority of God to lay down his life, to take the death that Adam and Eve had earned and deserved that day, to forgive all the sins of humanity. To the very same moment Adam and Eve ruined everything, God promises to come into their mess and fix it in order to restore their relationship. But wait, there's more. Then he gave them another gift. We often skip over it. Verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God personally clothed them, covered their newly found shame. Even though they chose to rebel, he gave them what they needed and he proved that he still loved them and he will still care for them. They can't do anything to fix what they did. The past is done. But he still loves them, and he will still provide for them. God was for them before they can do anything, before they could do anything for him. God was for them when they rebelled against him. God was for them when they were so ashamed they hid from him and even blamed him for their choices. God was for them in the middle of their consequences. And he was for them when they could do nothing to fix the mess they had made. And this 
is how God chose to introduce himself to Israel and to the world. That is the first thing he wanted people to know about him. Because that is who he is. God is for you. That's how he wants to introduce himself to you. He is for you. Every breath you take is proof that God is for you. Every drink of water, every amazing waterfall you see, every relationship you enjoy, every time you enjoy humor and beauty, it is proof that God is for you. You can see them as like little notes left by God saying, I love you and I'm for you. Oh, let's go on a hike. Wow, just look at like just even just this little spot would be an amazing picture on my wall. I love you, and I'm for you. Well, look at, have you watched that thing on the Discovery Channel where they found that weird little, squ- yeah, I love you, and I'm for you. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I thought you'd be a laugh out of that thing. <laughs> You're welcome. I love you, and I'm for you. But so often it seems too good to be true, doesn't it? We feel like we need to hide from him because he's angry at our choices. We can't approach him because of the shame that seems to cling to everything we are. There's no way he is for someone like me because I'm a lost cause. God's favorite clauses are the lost ones. All of humanity was a lost cause until he came into the mess and fixed it himself. See, the story of Adam and Eve is proof that you can never mess up so bad that God won't forgive, that God won't pursue, and that God won't fight to restore you. And the rest of human history really is a story of how God made a way to restore you. A a distant descendant of Adam and Eve, the Apostle Paul, would put it this way, thousands and thousands of years later. Consequently, just as one trespass, one sin, resulted in condemnation for all people, So also, one righteous act, Jesus, resulted in justification and life for all people. Justification, a perfect record with God, a perfect relationship with God. One person destroyed it. One person came and fixed it for everyone. And God is still asking, where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? Where are you, John? Where are you, Elizabeth? Where are you? He's asking you, where are you? He already knows. He's asking you to pretty much ask yourself, where are you? It might be time to stop hiding and accept that God is for you. Maybe you're not ready for that. That's okay. That's why we created this place. I just want to challenge you. If you're not ready to fully accept, yes, God is for me, he loves me, I totally get it, which you never will totally get it, by the way. I just want to challenge you. Be open this week to the possibility that God might actually be for you. Be open to the possibility and then ask him to show you. God loves to give. Ask him to show you. Be open to it. But if you can accept God is for you, if you can accept it, or maybe you have accepted it to the amount that you can understand, then share it. Share it. 
show it by loving others through his love. Not you mustering it up, but saying, hey, God, I don't like them. I don't even like looking at them. Love them through me. And he will. And the feelings will follow. Show it and talk about it. Man, what a great sunset. Do you see that? God made that. Well, you believe in God? That's not how atheists talk, by the way. (laughs) Well, yeah, I I do, and I believe that he created that for me. No, that's just gases through the air. Yeah, isn't that awesome? God can use gas to make that. That's cool. God is for you. Accept it and share it. It's an invitation, not a command. What if this is how we always viewed God? That he is for us. That no matter what, he loves us and is for us. That when things were good, we believed he was for us. And when things were bad, we believed he was for us. That when we feel like we've made great decisions and when we fall, we know he is for us. What if your kids knew this? You want them to know that you're for them no matter what. What if your kids knew God was for them? Even more so. I mean, what would their future look like? What would they be afraid to try and do with their lives? What if your neighbors and your coworkers knew that God was for them? What if our sin, our personal sin, wasn't an opportunity to blame and to hide from God, but to turn to him and be reminded every time we fall, to be reminded of his unending, limitless love, that every time we have a pinch of guilt, we can say, not woe is me, God's going to destroy me, he's not even listening to me, I can't even hear him, but God is for me so much that he died for the consequences of that sin. Thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you that that isn't condemnation on me, that you love me and that you are for me no matter what. What would that be like? What would you be afraid of if you knew like that deeply that God was for you? Because here's the truth. God was for you before you were you, and you can't do anything to change it. God was for you before you were even you, and nothing you do can change that he is for you. So just accept it and share it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you. Thank you for being so for us before there even was a world that you decided to create it so that we could be here, we could know you, we could enjoy you, we could enjoy your creation. Help us realize, just just dip our toe into the depth of your love, of your peace, of your gifts. Show us who you are this week. Show us in ways that we never even thought of. Give us the courage to be open to the fact that you actually are for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if something I talked about tonight was like, man, I just need to talk to somebody about that, I... I, you know, I, I'm not a praying person, but I just want to pray with somebody. We're going to have Patrick here on this side of the room, ready to pray with you if there's something you want to pray about. If you are a father or a father figure who's 18 years or older, 
we want to give you a gift. Please go into the lobby, get your bottle of hot, hot sauce, hot sauce, hot sauce, hot sauce, and your root beer this year. We'll see. Anyway, have a great week. Next week, we will pick it right back up talking about how we can discover more about this amazing God. Have a good week.